0: From New York City, a podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights, this is the Cry Havoc Company.
1: Hello, welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Uh, today around the
2: table we have...
0: Jenny Kerlin, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor and a director.
2: Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer.
0: Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor.
1: And uh, Kit Lavoy, I am a writer and a director. Uh, today we're going to talk about the topic of improvs or improvisations. Uh, not comedy improvs uh, like uh, <laughs> they do at Second City. Although perhaps we'll get a little bit into that, we'll <laughs> see. But uh, when you do non-scripted work in service of usually other scripted work, whether it be in rehearsal for a play, or whether it be in scene study work in a class, or, you know, we can talk about the different ways that people uh, use improv. All right. Uh, so first, uh, let's talk a little bit about when an improv uh, or improvs uh, are and are not useful uh, to an actor, to a director, to a playwright, and to the process.
2: Um, I think... Uh, I'll start rarely, but I'll start with a negative. Uh, I think the least useful improv uh, is but probably the most common one that I see is when the actors simply haven't learned their text and therefore have (laughs) decided they're going to improv uh, the scene. And that's generally what they mean. We're just going to improv the scene. It basically means they're going to do a rough approximation of the scene where when they remember lines from the text, they'll use them. Uh, They can... Uh, approximate them as need be um and and when they feel like saying or doing other things that are not in the text they'll do those things um I've done those those type of improvs uh I tend not to do them anymore due to my lack of of success uh with them um it's what uh it, it leads to what Arthur Penn once referred to uh while telling me how success unsuccessful my, my improv was, uh, he referred to it as public playwriting, where the actor, rather than investigating the circumstances or investigating an aspect of the play, is just sort of skimming the surface using their own words. Do we agree
1: generally that that is a a less helpful form of improvisation? It's it's.
3: I feel like it's less helpful for me personally. Yeah,
4: it tends you to get off mark on, um, in my opinion, on. What the play is like, if you're impro- improvising characters within a story, mm-hmm. you're no longer telling that story. You're telling the story you would tell if you wrote it.
0: Yeah, and the playwright spent an awful lot of time choosing the words that you are meant <laughs> to speak. <laughs> and I think there's, I don't know, I, I find it difficult, and I, difficult enough actually to improv in general. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I find like that the. The more, more useful way of improving for me is completely without any responsibility to the text or the mm-hmm, plot of mm-hmm, the scene yeah. that I'm working on mm-hmm. to be able to learn something in addition to mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It's not to my chance to do my homework yeah. on my lines. It's sort of to figure out maybe something I'm stuck on or something about the relationship that I'm working on. Those are the most useful times for me.
2: I think getting into you know, what... Setting up improvs that are useful, I think, is, is very challenging, and but ultimately very useful and profitable, but the, the type of improv we've just been discussing um, doesn't work for, for a variety of reasons that you guys have mentioned, um, but I'll be really blunt, I, I, I find it also that it's, it's, it's lazy, I think the actor isn't doing their work when they just take a scene that a playwright has invested so much in, and we're okay, we're just going to ballpark that. I find that lazy. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that that there can be very useful ways to "quote
1: unquote" improv a scene. Um, but I think a lot of those really have to do with actually hypothesis testing, which is that if you that if you can, um, if you're test if you're testing an objective, for instance, to say, is this what my character wants in a scene, and say, let's take the given circumstances of the scene, what we know, what is true for these characters at the beginning of the scene. We're just going to go, and I'm going to try to get this thing that I think this scene may be about, without any obligation to the text, except for the the facts that exist previous to the scene, and perhaps where the scene takes place, and who the characters are. And then you can find out um, how much, how similar, when you set yourself free to really explore and try to get that thing that you want as a character. How similar does it turn out to be? This. Uh, to be to the scene? Are there conversations that end up happening essentially the Mm -hmm. same way um, that they do in the scene? At least that way you find out certainly, you know, well, that's what that part of the scene seems to be about. Because when I'm trying to get what I want, um, outside of the context of having the obligation to say those words, I said those words anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's probably a useful thing to be trying to get when I've got those words. Um, And also, it can lead you to a lot of things. You know, that you you can find out that you... uh, The things that you don't end up saying in a Mm -hmm. scene that can really fuel the texted scene when uh, when you improv it, and perhaps you improv it two or three times, and there is something that invariably you come to that never comes up in the scene, you know, that you can really use it in the scene and say, this is the thing my character really wants, and how are all these other things that they say trying to get me to Mm -hmm. that or trying to avoid getting to that or, or whatever? Or
3: something that, on the flip side of that, something that you're always missing... And and maybe because you're missing it It means that you're unclear
4: And it means you have to go back to that To that moment and Mm -hmm. clarify it for yourself Well here's a question I have And I don't know if I have an answer to it Is if you do that kind of improv And you end up hitting those things With your scene partner Mm -hmm. Does that end up diffusing the work later on Do you understand Like they they now have this information That this is what you really want But you're not saying But then do you see what I'm saying Yeah that's a question I always struggle with because I don't I don't know if kind of revealing your secret like revealing, revealing your yeah. secret in a way. Well,
2: to your partner. Well, I, I mean I don't I, know
4: if I, I don't yeah. know what the answer is.
2: Well, I, I think you potentially in some cases run the danger of that, but you, I, mean, I mean, there's there's lots of dangers that are going to come up in a rehearsal process. But I I, I don't think necessarily what it, it's not a requirement that whatever you discover in an improv. Needs to be spoken, it needs to be verbalized. Mm. You know, that not all of your realizations, not all of what you will learn in improv, need to be verbalized and therefore shared with your scene partner. There's lots of discoveries that can be made that you can, your partner may have an inkling of what's going on, but I I know there's lots of times I've done improvs where, uh, you know, you set up something specific and I find out something. And you know, my partner may know I'm onto something, or in other cases, I may know they're onto something. But we're not sure what because it came out physically. It, you know, something that was said meant something different to both of us. Um, and in I think those cases, you try not to have too too long a conversation afterwards. I okay. think most of the time after an improv, I'll, the extent of my conversation will be, "Did you get something out of that?" Yeah. And if they say yes, fantastic. And if they say no. Well, hopefully, I did.
1: <laughs> well, well, I think the same way, though, that a scene has subtext. A, an improv has subtext too. That I think that they're usually the most important things that I learn from uh, from from a uh, an improv. Actually, are are not things that end up being said. Mm-hmm. Right,
0: that's mm-hmm. true. And I also think I learn in improvs occasionally something about my acting partner, and in a lot of ways, I think that that almost levels the playing field between between both of us where you finished that improv where you've maybe said something that might might have been a secret that you were trying to keep and and suddenly now you're kind of both in a new level and as as actors as well as characters potentially and so you're sort of sharing a new, a new part of the experience of working on on this scene and these characters, and I don't know. I always feel like that that that's just a better place to be. Even if maybe they know something, I wish they didn't know. There are going to be other mm. things they don't know.
2: There, there's a value to that in that you know, actors when they're, especially when they're working on a play that's been done before, an established piece of work, of creating their own version of that character. You know, that 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 is unique to any person who's ever played that role before. And I think that's one of but on, you have to remember that that experience isn't unique or exclusive to you. That the, every other actor in the play will be doing that same thing. And in addition to that, then, how those relationships... It's not merely your Hamlet and your Ophelia or your Eddie and your May or you know, whatever two characters you're working on uh, as two separate entities. But then the relationship between that Hamlet and Ophelia will become exclusive too, too, and different than any other Hamlet and Ophelia or Eddie and May, uh, previous.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it, it, perhaps an, uh, an interesting way to, uh, to look at, to question this a little bit, because I know as a director, I, there are some processes where I use improv a lot, and a lot of processes where I don't use it at all. It, mm. It's one of the, one of the tools in the actors and directors and, in some cases, playwrights toolbox. Um, and and I think it depends a lot on sort of on on the kind of actors that you have and and what they respond to and what the things they're struggling with. Do you guys have any sense of what kind of obstacles you guys may encounter in developing a character or working on a play um, that would make you want
2: to improv to explore? Sure, I think I think anytime there's questions where where I read a script and I say I have no idea where I don't do. You know, I do X in this play. Why don't I do Y? Or, you know, um, then I will often, you know, ask to do an improv where I, I make that other choice and discover something. You know, why, why don't I leave the room? Or why do I um, take a certain action? I remember when, when Kit and I were working on, on One for the Road, um You know, uh, uh, my partner uh, in that scene, Chris Burke, who's who's a tremendous actor, and despite the fact that he had four lines, gave me so much to work with, and we did extensive improv on that. We had one scene where he's a a political prisoner of mine, um, where I'm both interrogating and sort of attempting to convert him. Uh, We had one rehearsal where he was so belligerent to me, I, I finally turned to Kid, and I said, I don't know why I don't just kill this guy. And kid said, "Well, why don't you go find out?" So we, we did a <laughs> rehearsal where I, you know, had absolutely no patience with him, and, and uh, pretty much the second he he, I started my interrogation, and the second he got belligerent, I pulled out the gun and I shot him, um, and then realized that all the information that I needed. I was never going to get from this man because I had just shot him so you know I think your improvs you know what sets up a su- successful improv is setting up very specific goals for yourself mm. very specific uh, agendas for yourself um, and 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 I think that was a case of, of having a very specific goal and, and what I was going to do uh, both as the actor, I needed to discover why I didn't kill this man. Mm-hmm. And then my objective in this, in that particular improv was, I'm going to take nothing from this man. And I will take his life in a moment if he crosses me. What is most important is establishing you know, and manifesting my absolute power in this room. And what I discovered from that is, in every moment, establishing and manifesting absolute power uh, and allowing no one else any power at any moment wasn't getting me what I wanted. So when we went back to the script... I understood more why, perhaps, you know, I I, I allowed him um, power in certain cases. I think that that
1: really that gets into something important with the idea uh, I mentioned before. But right, I think it, it highlights the the hypothesis testing element of it. And I think as we get uh, in a, in, a, in a few minutes into talking about how to effectively set up and execute an improv, um, you know, that that a lot of it really is that idea of finding out if something is true or if something works. And sometimes a very successful improv is discovering that thing is not what's going on. That thing that I was exploring is not what mm-hmm. is happening in this scene. Um, because then you can move forward with confidence to the next thing because you've given it a really solid airing um, to see if, if, if that thing that you thought might work didn't.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, too, piggybacking on what you said, Tim, that um, the thing I found most useful in improv is that um, finding out how much I need to care about what's happening, what's going on, because we were actually improving a play, which I can't remember right now, and we didn't <laughs> we set up a whole circumstance. And I suddenly in the middle of it, realized that I don't know why I'm standing here anymore, so I walked out of the room. So the improv ended, and uh <laughs> 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 I came back in, and we realized that, um, we need to figure out, okay, that's not an option because that's not how the play goes. So it became very clear to me how I needed to figure out what I cared about more than leaving. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it became a sharp, clear focus on what I had to do.
1: That really, I think actually that strikes on something so important, that the improv belongs to the actor. Mm -hmm. And it's their time, and and the director's time, if the director's helping them set it up. But I think that is a lot why, uh, Tim, I I think what you were saying before about... um, sort of doing the semi-improv when you do the scene as much as you remember and you do whatever you feel like doing when you don't remember it doesn't have because it because it it really it's splitting your focus Mm -hmm. about what it is that you're trying to do and and so much of that yes is that if you had felt like you needed to come up with an excuse to stay in the room because that's what happened you would have come up with half an excuse and you would have continued to come up with half an excuse when you did the actual scene, and that really highlighted for you, the first thing I need to do is figure out why I sit here and talk to this
4: person.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actually, I remember that, and it got, from that moment on, the the scene, once you figured out why you were even in the room, the, the actual scene becomes so much clearer from that moment mm-hmm. on. And who would have guessed that that was the thing you were actually struggling with? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Not you. <laughs> no, I, I well, think first it's, and foremost, you have to learn that <laughs> some other way.
2: I think it's also important that that t- to note that your improv doesn't necessarily need to stop even once you have text. That I've often done this, where I'll go through all the given circumstances. If my character has a, a, an injury, let's say, I, I've done uh, improvs where I'll do the scene where I focus on nothing but the extent of, of that injury and will maximize that injury as much as possible. And then, what, what, what that has taught me then is, okay, if, you know, the, if I maximize the extent of that injury to, to such a great degree, where I'm incapable of doing nothing else, uh, obviously in this scene I do other things other than writhe in pain. <laughs> so let's start figuring out exactly how, A, the extent of this injury is, or B, what are the other given circumstances, including my needs, my obstacles, my objectives, that can override in in this case the, the extent of the injury? Uh, I think it allows you to really deepen your your, your performance, even once you you have text. Um, I'm just I'm really adamant about that the fact that I think in order for an improv to be successful, you have to set up really specific things. Um,
3: and I think you have to hold yourself accountable to those things. In, in in my in my experience those are the successful improvs that I've had where in, in sometimes I need a director saying remember mm-hmm. what you want remember what you want. You- yeah. But but those are the times that I. Yeah.
2: The accountability thing Get is work. so huge. If, if I may, I'll share one more story with you. I- improv does not mean getting up and doing whatever you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's not improv. Not that's, that's that's <laughs> that's being childish. <laughs> the, I was working se- several years ago. I was uh, working um, at the studio again. I was working on Lion uh, in Winter, um, and uh, we were fairly off text. We'd done a few improvs. Um, but my scene partner I noticed that whenever I did something that either as the actor or as the character they would disapprove of, they would go off text and get me to stop doing it um, uh, I had come in the scene with, with an apple and a, and a knife um, and uh, would be eating the apple while talking to the queen and, and the actor playing the queen um, even once we had text once, uh, rather than deal with that in, in, in ways, would simply we wind up having a 15-minute argument about me, you know, giving her that, that back the apple and the knife, and the scene wouldn't continue until until she would we didn't have a director at that point and I didn't feel it was at the time I didn't feel empowered to say listen you have to stop stopping the scene <laughs> and make me hand over my props <laughs> You, know, <laughs> you know, deal with the fact that I'm being disrespectful to you on purpose and it's actually serving the scene by doing that and I really wish you'd find another action that was close to the text especially once we're now you know, using the text to, to deal with me um, but I, I, I didn't feel it was my place to do that. I didn't feel empowered to do that. So for our next rehearsal, I actually set up for myself that no matter what happened, I would not <laughs> leave text. No matter what happened, no matter what what, w- uh, what actions took place. Um, and, and that was an odd exercise to bring up. And considering the fact that we were still sort of in half improv, half text mode, um, when I explained... Um, to to the membership that that's what I was doing. They were up in arms about that. They're like, why would you do that to yourself? It's an improv. Do whatever the hell you want. And I'm like, but if I do whatever the hell I want, we're never going to get any closer to what the scene's about. Every time we do that, it winds up being a 20 minute fight over who gets to hold the props. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we weren't doing Lion and Winter. Um, so I think you you know, you have to set up you have to set up for yourself really really specific improvs, Um in order for them to be successful because I I think that the key is improvs while they're for the actor it is not to relieve the actor again to use your word of accountability it is to help the actor strengthen and deepen their connection to the, the text that's on the page and to bring that to life with a sense of responsibility to create their own character to create their own story um but that is still in in conjunction with and uh it is integrated with the, the, the story that's on the page.
4: I don't know if this goes contrary to that. I don't think so. But I just think the most what it touched on is the most important thing is when you're given an improv, you have to follow through on whatever action you're given for that improv 100%. And I think a lot of times I've seen actors pull back and go to about 75% because they think they're going contrary to the text and the world of the text. So they can't any, and I, don't, I think the improv becomes useless in that sense. Does that make any sense? It
2: does, but I'll counter that in, uh, slightly is I think in an improv you have to be aware. Oh, no. And, yeah, and, you, yeah. and, you ha- you, and what I mean by that is I think you always have to walk in with what your action is. Mm-hmm. But if you abandon that action, understand why you did. Oh, okay. I've done that yeah, in a million improvs. So I'm like, I'm coming in full board. I want this. And five minutes in, I completely abandon that and
4: go to another another.
2: and you have to as the actor you have to be really honest with yourself again to be accountable and to 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 analyze why that happened did that happen because you only went 70% and decided it wasn't that important to you well then you have to find another way to make that important Mm -hmm. to you did you abandon it because you decided that's not what you really need from the scene or need from your partner and what's really important is something else Mm -hmm. and then evaluate whether that's applicable to the story you're telling or not yeah. I think, I yeah. think the actor needs to be really yeah. aware
1: yeah. although <laughs> I, I will say to that 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 actually is a pretty advanced and sophisticated thing to be able to do thank to you p- Well, well <laughs> <laughs> not to change but to change responsibly <laughs> um, you know but because I, I do think it gets it is often the easy way out to, to decide not to go after that thing because it turns out to be hard And I actually would recommend for people, if people start working with improv as a technique, for the first two years that you are doing improvs, always follow through to the end. Just so you know what it feels like. And if once you know what that does and what following through to the end can do for you, if after knowing that you find yourself in the middle of an improv that you decide you know what, I'm better off changing tactics, then go. Then you can trust yourself that it's that important. Because it is extraordinary the surprising things that you can find out by following through on an improv. Um, and actually, one of one of my favorite examples, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to tell the one you think I I'm going to so. tell. to go ahead. <laughs>
4: um,
1: and this actually wasn't quite an improv, but it, it, it's an example of following through to the end, was we were doing Romeo and Juliet, Um, and uh, it was a a production where Jenny was playing Romeo. We actually talked about a production where Jenny played Romeo uh, in in earlier (laughs) episodes. This is a different production. This is what I do. (laughs) This is what Jenny (laughs) does. Um, And uh, Will Harper, who's a member of our our company, um, was playing Friar Lawrence. And there was something that I had set up, and actually I'll talk about this in a minute, about the importance of this, but wanted to give them... Uh, opposing and mutually exclusive objectives for them to work with. And sometimes, and actually I'll again talk about this in a minute, why it's important, perhaps I'm telling this in the wrong order, but um, but that the uh, that I wanted to give them something physical um, to separate them and and to, and to find the conflict over. And so it's the scene between Romeo and, and Friar Lawrence where Romeo's trying to convince Friar Lawrence to fix his world, essentially. And um, What I had said to Will, who was playing Friar Lawrence, is get Jenny into this side room. There was a rehearsal room with a side room, and I said, get her in there. That's all I want you to do. Don't worry about anything else. And told Jenny, whatever you do, stay out of that side room. And with the idea being that if they really were trying to do that, they were going to uncover surprising things in the actual uh, conflict of the scene just by having conflict while saying the words. It wasn't technically an improv. And Jenny said... Um, why can't why can't I go why, why can't I go in that room?
2: And privately, I said, what? To
1: you. yeah, privately to me. They didn't know what I was setting up. and I, and I said, well, there's a cougar in that room. You can't go in. I don't. I, it was probably not the, the best reason I could have. <laughs> but it turned out to be because what I did not anticipate, and she took that totally to heart, I thought that would keep her out of the room what she ended up doing was trying to keep Will from going in that room because she didn't want him to be hurt. And <laughs> the these extraordinary things happen. And the layers that we found in the relationship between you two were even in the heat of this fight that you two were having, that you still loved him enough to want to protect him from danger. And likewise, that, that one of the things that he ended up doing was that he had the ring that you had married Juliet with And at one point he was trying to get you in, you wouldn't go, and he took the ring, held it up, and threw it into the room and stared at you like, now go and get it. And A, the absolute betrayal that you found in that moment, and him realizing how far over the line he had stepped by hurting you, and that then the way in which the ring and the negotiation over the ring and the actual scene when we end up doing it, how important giving the ring back to Romeo and holding it away from Romeo became uh, in the actual production all of those things we discovered because Jenny committed full bore to the idea that there was a cougar in the closet (laughs) (laughs) and it's just that idea of if you truly and genuinely commit fully to almost anything and that's a big part again of what an improv is about is freeing yourself from the expectation of the text it will be amazing what you find and the ways that you're able to apply it to that scene. That silly scene with the cougar absolutely defined the relationship between those two people, and it was really, really a pretty magical thing that that happened between them.
0: All thanks to cougars. Yes. I hate cougars. <laughs>
1: uh, we actually have moved pretty well into uh, that, how we set up and, and play an improv. Although, before we go further, um, I want to touch quickly and, and see if we anyone wants to add to the list of other ways other than improving a scene that you can use improv um that uh certainly to explore previous circumstances mm-hmm. uh can be useful uh, I know uh, Carrie and uh, you mentioned and I, I think you're right the in one of our earlier podcasts the idea that that um exploring old circumstances twenty year old circumstances for instance can some, can sometimes be.
4: Especially when those, in in my opinion, especially when those things relate directly to major events that are mentioned and or heavily influence the characters in the course of the action of the play. I feel like if you're discussing, or if if the characters have experienced this one major event that has not been discussed until scene three of this play, (laughs) if you improv that moment, it just doesn't work for me. I feel like it, it keeps it too fresh, you're too on the same page about it. I feel like that's. Personally, I feel like that's work you should do on your own. And discuss a few pivotal elements of it, but not.
1: Because, especially something that's far in the distance, your,
4: your memories. memories of what Fallible. happened
1: can be very, very different. But that said, things that have happened in the recent past. Um, actually can be very useful to do mm-hmm. um, You know, what that we know That these two people have seen each other In between scene two and scene three And to do an improv on what that Interaction was can be really useful um, You know, for the actors to have a, 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 a shared history Especially again if they talk about what happened In, in, in that moment um, I also
0: find it interesting or helpful um, So many scenes start Mid-conversation, mid mid-fight Sort of that Most immediate past, um, where specifically together, where are we coming from? That
1: actually, that actually can be really useful, and that actually is one place where it can be helpful to combine improv and text Mm -hmm. but if the rule isn't, use the text when you want to, but when you feel like you want to start the scene that actually happens, go Mm -hmm. and switch wholly over to the text. And that can be really, really, really helpful. And again, you find out that lines that seem to be about one thing really are about something else, and uh, surprising things happen.
2: I think, uh, I, r- real quickly, I think it's also important to note that when you're improv, or in any rehearsal, you know, you're most likely going to discover something that will be of value. Uh, even if an improv. Uh, seems absolutely worthless to you you know at, at probably a at bare minimum what you've done is you've, you've deepened your connection and your relationship with that other actor uh, and, and, and are helping to, to define a way in which you two can work together that being said you know, you can abandon anything in an improv once you've done the improv once you fully execute it you may discover that other than developing a relationship with that actor it served you no purpose, and it's you're not obligated. Once you, if you discover something in an improv, you're not obligated. That must now become a part of your. But well, we're trapped. Or you know, there must now be a cougar in the room. <laughs> <laughs> See, the set design is going to fit. Um, you know, you, <laughs> you know, you, you, know, you, you can. Ab- that's the other. The, the power of the improv is you can abandon anything, and, and that's one of the reasons I think that you know, I, I get so as long as, again, I'll keep repeating, as long as improvs are serving specific purposes, I think you can rehearse plays forever. I'm always really troubled when somebody says, "Ah, I think the play was over-rehearsed. Was the play over-rehearsed or did you just rehearse the text over and over again and weren't discovering anything and had stopped attempting to discover things uh, to the point where the the, the play became boring for you? Those are two astronomically different things.
0: With but with many layers of how that could ha- have come to happen, I think. Um, I, I, I mean, I think we've given a power to the actor in the improv. You, as the actor, don't always have the power to have an improv in rehearsal. You know, you you may not always have that opportunity, and when you do, yay! <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Uh, the two other times that I, before we com- completely move on, uh, of of ways that people can use improvs, and there might be others. Um, is something that can often be helpful is that generally you hope that a play is about people interacting in extraordinary circumstances um, for one reason or another, um, and it can be helpful to sort of discover what what these people's lives, especially if they are you know brothers or husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend or, or whatever, you know what their lives were like before this crisis happened um, and to kind of get a little piece of people 's normal lives. Um, I mean I certainly know and I've I've done it for things um, and uh, you know sort of rehearsal outside of rehearsal uh, which is a, something we can discuss another time when and how that's appropriate but there are times where certainly I, when I'm directing a show and actors want to get together and work outside of rehearsal and you can say you know go go out to dinner in character you know just out to dinner meet each other in character and go out to dinner and talk about whatever you talk about and it can be kind of amazing how you know, spending an hour in each other's company in the world of the characters you've created, you know, what you can learn um, uh, about each other and what your expectation is of each other. And then there's also times in which uh, improv can be used to develop a play, a new play. Um, you know, that there are um, you know, I, I actually just worked with, with Jenny on a, on a project we were working with a playwright who basically they had we had a great group of actors she had a, an outline of a story she wanted to tell and a theme that she wanted to explore and we basically set up improv after improv after improv of different scenes and interactions that could happen between these people and she recorded those and took them home and transcribed them and then changed them and adjusted them and that's, mm-hmm. it turned into a play yeah. um, so that's another way that improv can, can be helpful Um, So, we already have moved uh, into it in in many ways, but but setting up an improv, um, and and then we'll talk briefly, secondly, about um, sort of what you do once you're in it, but what things are important about setting up before you actually start the improv, um, about making sure it's successful? I mean, Tim, you've talked about the importance of specificity, and I think that obviously is something Mm -hmm. that's very important.
3: You kind of touched on it briefly, and I I don't know how to do this personally, but when a director can give each actor, or each actor thinks of of objectives that don't match up. So there is going to be an obstacle, there's going to be something that that you guys are fighting.
4: And stakes as well. How important is it that you get that thing? Yeah.
1: And I think there are th- different things that either an actor can come up with before they start an improv or a director can give them. Mm-hmm. And that includes circumstances. You know, what what are you walking into? Um, and uh, and uh, stakes. You know, what, what is going to happen if it doesn't go your way? Um, and uh, your objective. What it is you're trying to get out of here. And actually, those are basically... I, I feel like you shouldn't walk into an improv unless you've got all three of those things. And a lot of times it can be... You know, the circumstances are the circumstances at this point in the play. I mean, you don't have to get too deeply into it. But sometimes it can be the circumstances are at this point in the play. But let's imagine that you actually have already gotten the call from your mother or whatever it is, and how does that affect the situation?
3: I've yeah. actually found, in and this relates to stakes, but a lot of good improvs I feel like have time time stakes like something's you need to get whatever you need to get done in five minutes two minutes the clock's ticking someone's going to enter the room that that kind of thing that really really gets both people moving immediately towards what they want
0: it's a very helpful tool I find and all of those things I think fit into kind of setting up what the rules of the particular improv are we've talked about the billion different ways that we've all experimented with with improvs, and I think it's important to know whether this is one in which we are going to begin using the text when we feel we've gotten to it, or there is no Mm -hmm. text to be used, or whatever whatever the confines of the improv are, so that the actors don't have to spend any of their energy wondering about anything you can just do what it is you're setting out to do
1: yeah there's something about what what a group I mean that really strikes on one of the great things about improv is the purity of it and I think that that idea of it is an opportunity to go and interact and hopefully enter into conflict with the other actor and the other the other character more to the point um, without having the strictures of text or really anything other than getting out there and getting what you want um so, absolutely. Having just knowing a clear what
0: strictures are in place.
1: Yes. No, no, not having to negotiate. Yeah. You know, you have to negotiate what's at stake rather than the rules. Um, and I think something that can be really helpful, and this is something you really do need someone outside setting up, but the more that there can be mutually exclusive objectives. Because I think to go into an improv, the actors can't know what the other people are working on. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful, because a big part of it is about exploring and uncovering what the other people are up to. Um, But if you have a director you're working with, and I think if you're a director setting up an improv, you really have a responsibility to be sure... I mean, there's a lot of ways it's actually like setting up the structure of a play, which is that you come up with circumstances and objectives that that speak to and necessitate the central conflict of the play. It's, you know, what is it that are going to force these two people into conflict? And one thing that I use often um, as an improv, um, and uh, it's uh, it, probably everyone at this at this table I've given it to at one point or another, so I, I wonder actually if I want to say it and let other people listen to it. But um, <laughs> but especially when there's a, a couple, a, 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 a couple who's in love, that one of the things is you pull the actors aside and you give them whatever the situation is and you tell them your objective is to get the other person to kiss you you can't kiss them but then get them to kiss you and tell the other person the same thing I have never seen people do that and commit to it where they do not pick up a year's worth of relationship in it. Um, because there really is this negotiation and trying to be attractive to the other person and find out about what the other person wants and needs and try to give it to them and uh, all of those things, but that you, you cannot be the one to seal the deal. And technically, if they end up kissing, it's, someone has, has lost. Uh,
3: we ended up, um, <laughs> we actually talked about the same improv um, a couple of podcasts ago, uh, but when we were doing Romeo and Juliet the first time um, up at Fordham, Kit gave Suzanne, who was playing Juliet and I, an improv, and that, basically that exact improv, and that improv ended up going two hours or so, and that's how I kind of, we kind of learned all of our character history and stuff like that. And um, we ended up ending it with a thumb wrestling match, and the agreement was whoever won, the other person had to kiss them. So that's how we ended up ending the improv without... Because we knew, you know what I mean? But
1: like, what's important about that too is that you guys discovered what the other person wanted. You didn't know walking in. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. that
1: there's so much actually about having an improv, and there's actually something especially about having an improv with a partner who you trust has set something very clear for themselves, or who you trust has had a director set themselves very clear that it makes you very aware of the other actor and the other character and what they want because mm-hmm. you realize you're not going to get what you want from the text. You need to get it from them. And ultimately, mm-hmm. when you're playing a role and you're playing it with the text, you need to be trying to get what you want from the other person. Um, and it just is, is a really great way to create connection.
2: Mm-hmm. I'll go you one better on the on the kissing and losing. uh <laughs> <laughs> in In terms Do of, uh-huh. of improvs. But I think the point you just made is, is really important too, which is that you know, when you're developing a character, that, it, that this character doesn't exist, uh, is not necessarily the, the, the center of the universe, and merely the play and the other actors merely operate or, you know, an orbit around you, that there's relationships that, that need to be uh, uh, developed. Um, uh, I was the same play, uh, Harold Pinter's One for the Road. Uh, we did a lot of improv on it, and uh, my partner for one of the scenes, Dina Mendez, who was playing the the wife of the gentleman that I, I shot in an improv earlier, uh, <laughs> kid had given me the uh, uh, the 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 uh, objective that I needed to get her to kiss me. Now, I'm a man, she's a woman, uh, I have a very clear idea on what getting her to kiss me would mean. Uh, that for me, that was completely about the power of, of seduction and uh, so I had, a, I had a very clear under, I went into that, into that improv With a very clear understanding of, of if I were to succeed How this thing was going to play out um, And we went for it And I, I do not know What, what particular uh, uh, work you gave her To work on in that improv um, But by the end of it um, She was in complete defiance uh, Yet realized She was sort of out of options And she literally looked across from me with as much contempt and, and disgust as you possibly could have and leaned forward and pecked me on the cheek, or not on the cheek, was, or pecked me on the lips, but it was about as unpassionate, unsexy, about as angry and as, as, as uh, it was possibly the most rebellious act she did in that room in, in, in a, a, a scene of rebellious acts. And despite the fact that I achieved exactly what I'd said I would achieve, I was defeated. <laughs> because, because it wasn't only about achieving what I wanted, it was about how I achieved it. And, and that was not how I had imagined. You know, My expectations were not met in how I expected to achieve that. So you're constantly surprised, even when you win. Yeah, I, had a, I have a very
1: vivid memory of that. And again, the, the, the play is about this family who are held in a prison and being tortured and your character is the commandant of the prison it's a, it's a really fascinating play and everyone should read it Harold Pinter wrote it uh, um, but um, uh, but actually what she was working with was something that had to do with her, with protecting her son and that you guys actually in terms of it being an improv you guys actually were on text for that um, as I recall Um you know, so you weren't able to ask her to kiss you, you had, it had to be right. a physical thing but, that what she, but, I, but what she did which I, I think again was, was uh, really interesting and really playing hardball was she figured out what you wanted what she was working on was about protecting her son and she realized because you did begin to threaten her son your lines talking about her son became about if you don't kiss me something will happen to him And so she did what she needed to do to protect her son. And yes, you got exactly what you were aiming for, but you lost. And it was, I I actually remember that very vividly. It was, uh, you know, very interesting. But something that I think a trap that a lot of actors fall into in improvs, and that neither of you did in that case, is figuring out what the other person wants. And the objective becomes to keep them from getting it. Mm-hmm. I do
3: that all the time.
1: And I think...
3: I really do. It's it's a trap that I fall into.
1: Yeah, and, and it's really easy to do because there's a degree to which an improv is a game. There's a degree to which it's you have this thing you're trying to do, I have this thing I'm trying to do, and we're going to see who gets what they want. But really in life, so much about what interaction is about is figuring out what does this other person want and how can I convince them that they can get what they want by giving me what I want. Mm. Um, and that's exactly what she did in that scene. And again, it forever colored the way that that scene was done. And, and, and uh, you know, certainly what, uh, what the section of the scene where you were talking about the sun was about. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that, that I think is important about the specificity of it, and this is a, a personal uh, preference, not everyone does this, but I think the more that you can have a specific and achievable objective in an improv, the better. And by achievable, I mean something measurable. That it's very easy to say, what do you want? Well, I want this person to forgive me. And whenever I'm you know, i working with an actor and they say that, my question is, how will you know that they have forgiven you? And it's... It's, it's always it's really, a physical thing. Yeah, that, that the more often that you can find something about, I want them to hug me. I want them to give me... $5 from their wallet <laughs> I want them to come and sit in the chair Behind the desk I want them to get up from behind the desk And give me the chair at their desk If what I'm trying to explore is that they're giving their power over to me It's not always the case But incredibly often It's useful to set a Again an achievable Measurable physical objective For an improv because that way you can't let yourself off And say I think I got what I wanted Either you've got it or you don't And if you don't you need to keep fighting are there any other things about once you're in an improv um, that, uh, that is useful in terms of keeping yourself or, or keeping the other people doing the improv honest to get the best out of it? Um, something actually, Carrie, that you mentioned before that I, I think is, is worth bringing up is that it's okay to leave the room in an improv. That can be one of the best things that you can do if your character would leave the room. Um, for a number of reasons. Because one, it might illustrate to you that you don't have a strong enough reason to stay in the room. But very often, it, there are times, which is like what happens in life, where you storm out of the room and slam the door behind you and you go, damn it, I wish I had said so and so. That you actually can discover by leaving the room when you think you have no reason. You know, wh- when you have no reason to stay, what it is that your reason was to stay. And
3: actually, as the other actor, having someone approaching the door as if they're going to go and knowing that they could leave the room it puts an onus on you then and an urgency to get what you want from that person before they leave to get clear. it, it, to it get makes clear. your stakes yeah, yeah. a heck of a lot yeah.
2: higher. I, I completely agree I, I was I was working on a scene once with with a girl and uh, we were in a class and, and, and forgive me I, I do not remember which scene it was but but I was was fairly young and, and, and Feeling very actor so, you so know, there was just lots of, lots of passion and yelling and, <laughs> and, and throwing things and uh, you know, on my part. And we, we had rehearsed it several times during the week, and, and she kept leaving the room. And it was infuriating because I felt that was incredibly irresponsible uh, on her part to leave the room. And, and to be honest, sometimes I think it is irresponsible to leave the room. I think sometimes it's irresponsible to go, well, I, there's no reason for me to stay, therefore I'm going to leave the room. Well, why don't you come in with an objective? And figure out why she'd be in the room, but in, in this particular case, I was I, I was so furious, felt she was irresponsible, and wasn't doing the scene because she just kept leaving. We brought it into class. Um, it was in front of uh, Gene Lasco and uh, we brought it into class. And we did the scene in front of him, and we were talking about uh, uh, afterwards. We were done, and she didn't leave in that particular moment, but she said afterwards that she had really wanted to, and. And had asked her, "Well, why didn't you leave in this one?" And and she sort of called me out. She's like, "Well, Tim gets so upset when I when I I leave I leave." And he was like, "Well, so?" She's like, "Well, I didn't I didn't want to to." We had a conversation with that that continued. And finally, you know, Gene asked me how I felt about it. I said, "Yes." I said, "It frustrates me greatly that she keeps leaving the room." And Jean just looked at me and he says, "Why would anyone stay in the room with you? Look around you." <laughs> and I had As in every other time we had done this scene I had upended the furniture I had been screaming at her for 20 minutes I had thrown the entire room into was in absolute chaos And his point was If you really want her to stay in the room And execute what you need to have in the scene in the You need to keep her in the room And be responsible not only to what your impulses are And he was very clear Have those impulses But also have an understanding of the consequences Of those impulses If you yeah. Follow through on them because a scene isn't just about what you feel; it's more than anything else what you need the other person to
1: feel and what you need the other person to do. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think that that's a lot of yeah, a lot of what it, an improv again keeps you aware of the other person. Yeah. Um, and I think related to all of that, which I think is is really, really, really key to an improv, is resisting the urge to be entertaining, mm-hmm. which is such an easy thing to do as an actor to get up there and feel like I should be interesting. And that's not what an improv is about. An improv is about really you having your time to figure out what's going on in your world. And I, I one of the best improvs I ever did, actually again, it wasn't quite an improv because we, we were using text, but was in a class and it was so valuable where literally, there was a moment where the other actor and I sat still and she was facing away, looking in a mirror, combing her hair, and I was looking at the back of her head and we sat there for 40 minutes for 40 minutes and the teacher didn't stop it and at the end she was like that was the most compelling thing because but it was totally earned and to- I mean I I, I think as I recall but that it was totally full because it was really something at that point where we were playing a couple and whoever said something next was going to end the marriage I mean that mm-hmm. was the point that, this, that the scene got to and neither one of us was ready to do it mm-hmm. and so All of the things that I learned in that 40 minutes of sitting there and trying to decide and begging her to say something that would make it okay for me to forgive her for cheating on me with my best friend, all of those things became so useful. And if I had felt like, oh, this is a scene and I need to be entertaining, and I got up and kicked over a chair or yelled at her, I would not have learned Mm -hmm. any of those things. And as we ended up doing the scene as we did it... um there was there did end up it wasn't 40 minutes but there did end up being a minute there in the final version of the scene where we just sat locked in and it was as a director when things like that happen it's such a gift Mm -hmm. when it's those kind of moments that you never could have dreamed up right
2: I I think I'll speak to the entertaining issue and and also in terms of uh, one of the other values of an improv for me is that you become so grounded in the circumstances of the play um, that uh, even once you, you learn text uh, in a rehearsal, there, there's times where like, people go up on text and the rehearsal stops so somebody can remember their lines. If, you've, if you're really comfortable and really trusting, there's, there's times in rehearsals where somebody will go on, off text. And you know what? We still have a rehearsal because we're so grounded in our circumstances and are clear in what our objectives are that we can continue uh, to work. The last time I rehearsed at the actor's studio in session in front of the membership, the moderator was Al Pacino. And there, are, if there are not many people in the planet, I would be more gratified to impress and entertain than Al Pacino. And and uh, hopefully, I, I was mature enough in, in my development as, as an actor to to completely uh, dismiss the idea that I was in any way going to to impress Mr. Pacino. I was just going to do the scene, and we were well on our way with the scene. We, we were fairly well on, off text. Uh, with it. We were, uh, you know, off book with it. We we felt really comfortable. We had a lot of rehearsals, including a lot of improvs and a lot of straight rehearsals on the on the, the, the the text. And we went up in, in, in session and did the scene. It was about a minute in, and I don't remember what happened, but one of us went up on lines. I'm going to assume it was probably me. <laughs> um, and, you know, considering where we were in our development, if that were a standard rehearsal, we would have stopped and said, oh, line. Somebody would have called line and then we would have continued. But we were so dropped in, thankfully, uh, to what our circumstances were and what we wanted that the improv, the improvs we had done had laid so much groundwork that we were able to take a step back and even though we didn't have text and we talked about this afterwards, we both continued with our objectives and did basically the scene um, with with chunks of text here and there and without. And there was a moment in the the the, the, the scene, the rehearsal we did, where we were across uh, on opposite ends of the stage with each other, and it was a question of who was going to come to who. And we had, for about 10 minutes, this entire silent exercise of one of us stepping forward and waiting to see if the other would step forward. And if they did, maybe I stepped forward again, or maybe she stepped forward, or maybe she stepped backwards, and it was this entire negotiation there's a 10 minutes of silence of us um, uh, walking towards each other and there was one other moment where i just held her and she rested her arm, her head on my arm and i just stroked her hair and oddly enough when people gave us the feedback those people found that the membership found those two moments to be the most compelling and the most exciting when a we were playing a game of who was going to come to who and b when i did nothing but hold her And I I think, as you said, Kit, those, what the improvs allow you ultimately are to discover things that you would never anticipate, or more importantly, would ever plan.
0: Well, I think an improv also is a unique opportunity not to be responsible to an audience. I think we've talked about it as an actor's tool, and directors learn from it, and, and actors learn from it, but I think what you're talking about, about moments where you're not speaking, or it's not your responsibility to be heard it's not your responsibility to the text it is your responsibility to your objective for that particular improv for that particular exercise and I think that's a gift you don't always have that opportunity in rehearsal and in performance and it's it's kind of a, a terrific opportunity really to ground yourself and learn whatever it is that you can in that space
1: Excellent. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you, Jenny and Jen and Tim and Kerry. If you have not subscribed yet to the Cry Havoc podcast, please do so at iTunes. Uh, it's been good having you. We'll be back again, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: You can learn more about the Cry
0: Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.